When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NFL season may be over, but that doesn't mean you have to stop betting. There's plenty to wager on over at betonline.ag, including their $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest. You only need $10 to enter, but be sure to do so before March 19th. You can also bet on the NBA, the NHL, my personal favorite, NFL draft props, and so much more. Head on over to betonline.ag today and put your sports knowledge to the test. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast. Podcast With your hosts Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Chris Schubert, Jamie Eisner, Jake Arians here with you. And guys, it it feels like Christmas morning. We know what the salary cap is going to be for next season. It feels like we were given a gift. We've been wondering and waiting to see what was going to be under the Christmas tree. We now know what it is. We also know which players are going to get franchise tagged and which ones didn't get franchise tagged. We're also going to talk about the rookies in this year's draft from a redraft perspective for fantasy. So a lot to get into. Uh, I guess we'll start with the franchise tags, mainly notably who didn't get one. Um, For our fantasy purposes, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, the two guys that did, the guys that didn't, Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Kenny Galladay, Hunter Henry. Those are some of the big ones. Jamie, I'll start here with you. Any any of what I just said surprising to you? A few things, actually. One of them, uh, Hunter Henry one, surprised me a little bit. Uh, I I know it would have been the second tag in a row, but I didn't think it was – that cost prohibitive for them to keep him on the roster. Uh, and then at that point, it's been a limited group of weapons for Justin Herbert. You have Keenan Allen, who's amazing. We've all talked about that. I like Mike Williams's talent, but he is a limited option for you based on what he can do and how often he can be on the field. Hunter Henry was kind of developing into, especially late in the season, as a guy that you could really trust for Justin Herbert. So now they're going to have to go out and find that other option. It is great news for that guy that I've had my eye on for a sleeper uh, dating back to January when the question was asked on Twitter, and that's Donald Parham. Uh, it's six foot eight, four six speed. Is somebody that can, if he steps into that role, and they don't, they don't end up re-signing Hunter Henry, which is still a possibility down the road. But if they don't end up re-signing him, he's a guy that becomes really, really interesting for me. And, and not a tight end one yet, but if you're waiting on tight end, you want to take a flyer late in your redraft leagues on somebody because you didn't want to spend an early pick on him. He's a guy that really intrigues me. I was also a little surprised that the Packers didn't franchise Aaron Jones. And I'll kind of turn it over to Jake on that one because we were talking a little bit about a pre-show. But the wide range where Aaron Jones could be ranked for me, as you know, a personal favorite of mine and the the TD and Fantasy podcast as a whole, it's going to vary depending on where he goes. And it's not a guarantee he's leaving Green Bay, but it's now more likely than ever. It's more likely, and it's so weird. Like, A.J. Dillon looked good in the playoffs. He looked good as the season went on, but they didn't use him that much. You know Jamal Williams, you probably re-sign pretty cheap. I think the market for him is less than $6 million a year. But you're a Super Bowl-ish contender. You've been to three straight NFC championships. You think you can get over the hump. 
Can you afford him, or would you rather have a weapon outside? And can those two guys, A.J. Dillon on first down, second down, Jamal Williams, we know is a great pass blocker, catches it really well. On third down, get you by, and you draft another one, third, fourth round, really good running back class. Is that enough for a team, you know, that's really supposed to be there, right? They had three straight NFC Championship games. Just say what you want about two years ago, 13-3. and three, was a little bit of a fraud. They were pretty damn good last year. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's so weird. And as he viewed – by the league, not fantasy, by real football, as a three-down star, which we all think he is and should be, or is he a little bit limited because he's always kind of split time and taking a little bit of that workload off, and is he going to get paid like a three-down superstar, or is he going to get paid like a guy that's going to share a backfield a little bit? That's the thing to me, Jamie. Like, we've talked about Atlanta, Seattle, some of these places that we like him. Is he a workhorse guy, or does he need a complimentary piece, and how does he get paid that way? If that's the case... And he's not going to get paid that way. I can see Green Bay jumping back in and matching. Some of these teams are going to wait for these guys to hit the market because they want to hit the market and see what the market is. And then go, well, hell, we'll give you that much. And see yeah. if they leave. And there's only a few teams that can really afford to sink significant capital into a running back right now. I mean, we now finally know what the cap number is going to be. And look, we've already talked about the teams that have the ability. Miami's got the cap space for it. The Jets have the cap space for it. I mean, there are, there are a handful of teams that have that ability, but to me, I think he can be that back, but to be fair and to the point that the league might say, you haven't done it yet. Now, he hasn't been asked to. It's not like he's been asked to and failed, but he hasn't been given that opportunity, so that is still an unknown. But this is a player for fantasy purposes that could be anywhere between the middle of the first round and the middle of the second round, depending on where he ends up. So I'll be fascinated to see that. I actually wrote a piece, Chris, for the draftnetwork.com yesterday on some winners and losers fantasy-wise from the franchise tag deadline because – I think one of the, to me, one of the big winners will be Kenny Galladay getting out of Detroit, getting out of that. No, because Matthew Stafford's not there anymore. Stafford was still there. Then it was fine. He was plenty productive with him, but you're going to Jared Goff. There's not a lot of other weapons there in Detroit. His ability to go somewhere else to be a more featured role in an offense, whether it's, whether it's in Baltimore, Indianapolis, the two New York teams. I mean, there's a lot of areas. There are a lot of teams that are wide receiver needy with some money to spend. I think he can bounce back this year. In the four games he played start to finish, that he started and finished because he left one of them early, he looked like the Galladay of old. So when he was out there, he was just as productive as he's ever been. Had an injury-filled year, but I think he's a player that can go somewhere else, continue to be that number one receiver, and he'll probably upgrade at quarterback over what he is going to have in Jared Goff. He's may or may not upgrade over Matthew Stafford, depending on where he lands, but he's definitely going to probably upgrade over Jared Goff and whatever that new offense is going to look like in Detroit. So I thought it was big for him to kind of get out of there and on the other flip side, big losers, Jared Goff for me. Uh, they're, they're, he has now the worst set of weapons around him since his rookie season. I mean, you're looking at Tyrell Williams, Quintus Cephas. I like TJ Hawkinson, but of those pass catchers now, what, Geronimo Allison's the number three. I mean, good. They could go out and add Jamar Chase. They could go out and add Jalen Waddle. They can go out and, and be players in these free agent markets. But as it stands right now, uh, if you're in a two QB league and you may be looking at, of, okay, you know, Goff's kind of been that solid mid-level QB two for you. I can't put him in. I can't put him anywhere. The, the highest up I could possibly put him would be QB 20. That's the highest I could possibly put him right now. Uh, so he's a big loser for me. And we'll see what happens with that Detroit offense. It's going to need a lot of pieces. Defense needs it, obviously. But that, that receiving core is, is not really – it might be as we stand now, if not the worst in football, it is among the worst. I tell you, the biggest winner is Kenny Galladay's pocket. Like Juju yep. Smith-Schuster was sitting back going, if Galladay, Robinson, and, and Godwin all got tagged, 
I'm now the hottest dude in free agency is what, 24? Juju's so young. He was looking at big dollars, like way overpaid dollars. Juju probably comes back to earth a little bit, a little bit under that tag value of about 16 million. But does Galladay get that 18, 19, 20 million they're talking about receivers going to, or is it another year? The biggest loser is Allen Robinson not hitting that. Like, yeah. He's the one that's not happy with the franchise tag. Chris Godwin was paying and making the thousands until this year, and he got a nice chuck this year because they picked up that that option on him. Uh, but he's making 16 million, and the cap's jumping back to probably 200 million next year. He's happy, right? Allen Robinson's played for a while, needed that big payday, but Galladay's pockets are the really the biggest winner here. Now I wanted to, I'm really interested to see where this receiver market goes. Because after those two guys, T.Y. is not, not commanding that kind of money. It's going to be really interesting to see where that goes. And the other thing with Aaron Jones is the Derrick Henry contract set a precedent for some of these running backs. The year before, Melvin Gordon holds out, gets killed. They don't want to pay these guys. Do they go with like a two- or three-year guaranteed contract? Just like Derrick Henry, you can get out of, you can front load. You're not going a four- or five-year deal on these running backs. You're going to go, I'm going to make you my guy for two or three years we'll re-up or we'll move on from there. We're going to move on at 28 instead of 30, the magical old 30 number where they drop off the planet. Yeah. Can this, we do that? I think we're going to start seeing that in running backs. There's never been a year to go get your cash up front than right now. There's never been a better time. And, and as we talked about a lot, and it played out in the Dak Prescott situation, although the deal's not finalized yet, but when it is, the amount of money, the big reason why he got the highest signing bonus in NFL history is because it's going to make it a much more friendly cap hit in year one. Like that, that is a big them ability reason. to get out of it in year three. Yes. Without that much. There, it's a lot of cash value, but Jerry can afford the cash. But we talk about millionaire talk owners about. and billionaire owners, right? I can give Dak all this freaking money, but if he sucks for a couple of years and it's time to move on, we can get out of it in year three and it's not the end of the world. It's a gigantic and, contract in the first couple of years. You're banking on him being the Dak that he showed two years ago in the first four or five games last year. If and, he's not, you can get out of it a couple of years. And both sides are banking on that. Because yeah. Dak is, is this good for a few years. He, then he has to re-up again at 31. Yeah, exactly. So both sides are going, okay, we're going to both bet that we're right and we'll see what happens. But that's what we talked about on the show previously in the offseason about how actual cash can get you out of a lot of these cap troubles. That's what's happening in Dallas. Because if they would have, let's say, had only two-thirds of that signing bonus, his cap hit jumps over $40 million. Yeah, I tell you the other thing, Jamie, is I love Mike Greenberg from the Bucks, And some of these teams you're starting to see get really unique. Like Levante David's thing where they have these three voidable years that they can spread this out a little bit. Now, you'll probably end up with some dead money eventually. But you're, like Levante is making $23 million next year. But I think they, I, I read that his cap value is only three and a half, something like that. Like that is enormous for a team. The window, you talk about Christmas morning, by the way, Chris. Chris Godwin, Levante David back on the way to getting some of these other guys back. I'm feeling pretty lovely about what's going on so far in free agency. Well, and that's, that's a good point you bring up because the Bucks have – they've shied away from doing a lot of deferred money, which is a big reason why they've never been in, at least in this recent history, been in too terrible of a cap situation because they haven't had these – they haven't had to push contracts down the road, haven't had to play dead cap space, voidable years, all the stuff that comes back to bite some of these teams eventually depending on how, how much money is thrown around there. But you're in a Super Bowl window right now. You have Tom Brady right now. You just won right now. You can worry about minor to moderate cap dead hits three, four years down the road to extend your window. Because again, as we always say, the whole point of this whole thing is not to have the best draft. It's not to have the best cap situation. It's to win Super Bowls. So if you can put your team in a position to win another Super Bowl now and get two, it doesn't matter that you're going to have a 
a $5 million cap. I haven't seen what the exact voidable years are going to look like yet for Levante, but it doesn't matter if you have a $5 million dead cap hit in 2025. If you bring, if you have two rings on your finger to show for it. No. And it looks like Tom's going to be back for at least another one after this one. Yeah. He's talking about their, 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 you know, the extension there, whatever that looks like. Uh, I, I just thought some of these teams are getting really creative with really impressive cap people because we talk about on the show all the time, Jamie, you could talk about, I want this guy as a fan. I want that guy as a fan. What is your freaking cap situation that dictates everything that you're talking about? Your team is going to be next year. And it starts in March. One of the things we need to talk about with this cap coming down 16 was $16 million, $16.5 million, whatever it is, and not going up, which has gone up for years. I've said for a while now, there's going to be some really, really good veteran players midline starters on every team that get cut and we're seeing it already where do they go do they want to go to contenders where they know they can put up good numbers for one year wait for that cap to jump over 200 million next year and then get paid and have a chance to win or do they want to go bounce around take the same money they were going to make on that team on another mediocre team i think they're going to there's going to be a lot of really good solid veteran names that go to really good teams for one year one year deals maybe less than they were going to make before with a chance to re-up. But the teams that can reshuffle that mix, that's where your special teams are going to get better. Your depth is going to get better. And you could probably upgrade it at a couple weak spots of your starters in Green Bay, San Francisco in their secondary, the Bucks, some of these teams that can fill a couple holes here and there because they have the cap space to do it. And guys want to come play there with a chance to win. I think it's going to be a really unique offseason because of all that. I want to get. I want to ask you guys one question here, and it was something we talked about a little bit ago. Does Allen Robinson play for the Bears next season? He was franchise tagged by them, but there's always the the tag and trade scenario. Does he play for the Bears in 2021? I think so. I think so too. I, I'd I'd love to see what they could get for him. It depends. You know, here's the thing. It depends on how bad this goes for the Bears in the next little bit. Like, is it going to be Nick Foles, and are we really looking like we're going to suck? Because at that point, Nagy is a lame duck. He's not getting an extension. And you could get a haul, right? So I think it kind of depends on how the next month goes before pre I mean, I, all the way to the draft, really. Uh, but if I had to say right now, I'd say yes. But it depends on how big of a stink he wants to make, too. Some of these guys have talked their way out of town for big hauls at this point. The other interesting thing, too, Chris, is – it, it's because of the, the shaky ground that, that Pace and Nagy are on, it complicates things. Because part of me says, Bears, let's say they come out slow. They can maybe move. They can basically do what the Bengals should have done with A.J. Green last year, which is move him at the deadline for assets because you know he's not coming back. But are you going to do that when you're like, I got to try to win as many games as possible over the final 10 weeks the of the season because I'm going to get fired anyway. Then at that point, what's the, you don't care that the next general manager is going to get picks back. So I mean, that's, that's where the where GM that, and the head coach can go, okay, we were on a team. And yep. Pace goes, I can save my job for moving Allen Robinson because Ryan would be very good. If I get a big haul back and it looks like I'm rebuilding things, I might be able to stay put. And Especially, we'll put it on the coach and move on. That's when things get really interesting when you're not necessarily totally tied together, which they kind of are. Especially if you, if you try to – and again, I, this goes back to like the stuff that goes beyond football of you got to sell it to your boss. And if you're selling it to the boss is saying, all right, I can move this to get these assets because we're really going to make a run at Russell Wilson in the offseason. Does, does that save you your job? It's selling that, interesting that bosses like that. That's an interesting so, boss group in Chicago. So it, it just – there's a lot of factors that go beyond the football, beyond the what they should do, beyond the like if you were had a permanent GM that would, could not lose their job of what they should do, 
versus what they'll actually do because of the real life consequences of it. But I do think Adam at least starts the season on the Chicago Bears. All right, let, let's get into what we were supposed to get into here over the course of this show. And I knew the franchise tag and salary cap would lead us uh, down this road. We're going to look at the rookies. We've been looking at them over the last couple of shows, but now we're going to look at them from the redraft format. We've been doing so from the dynasty format the last couple of episodes. So now looking at them from a redraft format. So I'll throw a name out to you guys and you guys can just go back and forth, ping pong, discuss where you guys think these guys fit in the redraft fantasy format. We'll start with the guy that probably everybody's going to be wondering about, quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Jamie, we'll start with you. To me, I think he is in the very bottom part of the QB1 territory, um, somewhere between 10 and 12 or 13. Um, I think he can have success right away. He's going to have plenty of weapons down there in Jacksonville. As Jake has mentioned on the show before, they're still not very good, and they're going to have to throw the ball a lot in the second half, and volume is a tremendous part of having fantasy success as a quarterback. You know, I'm not – I'm not going to overdraft him in redraft. You know how I feel about waiting on quarterbacks. And I think that continues this year as we're talking about guys like, you know, guys we didn't even talk about in our top eight when we were doing my mock draft, guys like Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there's a lot of names. Matthew Stafford. I mean, there's just a ton of names there. Like there are more than 12 good quality starting quarterbacks. And you have to play matchups with some of these guys on a weekly basis, but so to me, he's a guy that you, I want to take in that later portion. Uh, he's the only fantasy rookie I'm interested in right now, unless I'm in a multi-quarterback league where you have to have every, roster every starter. Uh, he's the only one I'd be interested in. But I do think he is somebody that if you wait and wait and wait and you go with like a Trevor Lawrence, Matthew Stafford, or a Trevor Lawrence, Ryan Tannehill kind of combination toward the latter portion of your draft, I think you'll be perfectly fine walking into the season with that. There's a lot of guys I'd rather have, and I'm a little bit worried about him starting slow and not jumping straight out of the gates because they have James Robinson. I think they're going to – his personality doesn't say kid gloves. It says Peyton Manning, come out and run this whole freaking show and do the thing. But I think they know they're not very good. Urban Meyer's ego, we have to count into effect here. He's going to try to win games. Urban Meyer right now doesn't think they're not very good. He thinks, I'm going to the NFL. i got to prove this. I want to win games. Well, how do I do that? We don't turn it over. We control the clock. We hit some big plays. Or does it go ahead and that, and that bites him in the ass and they are throwing it that much? I think he may he could start slow. That scares me a little bit. But I have him in the exact same spot. There's just a lot of guys I'd rather have over him that are proven. If you're talking about Matt Stafford in the same area, I'm taking Stafford all day long. But And they're, they're only a couple. And Tom Brady, I think, has a monster year. You're only, I was talking about all those guys, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, I like him. I think he's going to put up some numbers. I'm a little bit worried about him starting slow, though. I tell you this, Jamie, I think I would have Trevor Lawrence a little bit higher if my strategy going in was, I know I'm not going to go after one of those top quarterbacks and I'm comfortable with a guy like Trevor Lawrence being my fantasy starter and I'm going to go get a ton of value in other spots and I'll just wait and wait and wait because I can get Trevor Lawrence a little bit later. I think that's what makes him appealing to me, but I agree with you in terms of your value of him on the board, but I think if you were building a strategy around, you know what, I'm comfortable with Trevor Lawrence as my starter as a rookie, I'm going to go build the rest of this roster out, I think he becomes extremely valuable at that point. Well, and that goes too to like roster construction. Like to me, are, are you in a best ball league? Because to me, if I'm going to take a couple quarterbacks, he's a guy I would really like to have in one of those where he's just, whenever he has those spike weeks, you're going to get credit for it versus like, to me, I wouldn't say I would feel like mega comfortable if he was my only quarterback on the roster. But if he is a piece of the, I'm going to take these QB 10 through 15, and I'm going to have two of those guys on my roster. And he's one of those two. I think you can play the matchups and have a plenty of success because I don't know if the Titans can stop anybody and he's going to get to play them twice this year. 
Uh, I mean, they're they're the, Houston. Is Houston going to stop anybody? He gets to play them twice too. Not so like secondary. There, you know what I mean? Like there's he's going to have some really strong matchups where again I wouldn't I wouldn't draft him or really draft any quarterback unless it's one of these elite options that you're going to say this is my guaranteed no doubt every single week starter just plug and play and forget it. You're going to have to play around a little bit. And if you do that, you'll actually will find out you'll have a lot more success than actually spending the draft capital on one of these top options. I mean, if you're talking about taking him in nine and you're going to take one of these other guys in seven or eight, I'm still taking one of these other guys in seven or eight and build my roster the exact same way than waiting to have him as my only guy at nine. Or I take him in nine and Roethlisberger at 11, who I still think probably puts up decent numbers next year. Uh, it'll probably look different than it did this year. But that's at least a little bit of a safety blanket later on. Uh, but I still rather have one of those guys around or two earlier and still build that roster the same way. All right, let's talk about the running backs, gentlemen. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, we'll group them together here. Jake, I'll let you go first here. Where do you value these guys in the redraft format? <sighs> Solid RB2s. Maybe RB1, depending on where they go. I mean, by the time you do a redraft league, you're going to know where that team is, how the offseason went for them. Are they penciled in as the starter? I mean, if ATN goes to Atlanta, Arizona, he could be at the end of RB1 territory. You might take a flyer on a home run hitter like that. I mean, look what Kenyon Drake's done in that offense, and he ain't ATN. Uh, Najee Harris ends up with the Buccaneers, and he's penciled in as the starter. I really like what that looks like as well. I think you're looking at the same kind of thing. Um, but, as you know, Jamie talks about all the time, Counting on rookies is, is difficult. Counting on rookies in a high, high spot like that in fantasy is really difficult and really risky. Now, they're big-time players, but they're still rookies. They're still going to be a learning curve. What does the team around them look like? Yeah, and, and to me, that's, that's always the biggest question. Like, I have Najee Harris right now somewhere in that, like, 34, 33 to 40 overall range for me. Like, so end of the third round early fourth round. I think he was the first pick of the fourth round in my, uh, by way too early mock then. And I maybe move him up a spot or two, depending on, you know, where free agency shakes out. But I, I will send the same cautiousness I said to everybody else of understand you might have to deal with some slow starts. You might have to deal with some inconsistency early on, whether it's with usage, whether it's with success, whether it's with, you know, it, sometimes it might be even third down usage. Like we saw how we saw a little bit of a slow play with Jonathan Taylor. We saw a little, we saw a lot of a slow play with DeAndre Swift. Um, you know, so it, it's those but are you all didn't with Josh Jacobs, right? So it's like you have no. you have both of those, and which one are you getting? Are you getting Jonathan Taylor's finish? Getting Josh Jacobs, who played through a rookie but was or an injury was a rookie but was pretty damn solid. Yeah. Or do you get DeAndre Swift's extremely slow start? The point we were trying to hang on to him for late, and you, you almost had to drop him because he was non-existent until really, really late. I think both of those guys are much more immediate impact players, regardless of where they're drafted, than any of the guys we just talked about. Maybe Jonathan Taylor. John Taylor, that backfield was so crowded anyway, and they wanted to throw it, and you, and you have other guys. Uh, but I, both of those guys are three down backs. They both are probably penciled in as the starter wherever they go. Yeah. And they're probably on decent teams because I don't think any of the one of them are going before 18 or 20. No, and they're all going to have a good opportunity because if you're going to invest that sort of – and at this point we believe both of them are going, what, top 35 in the real draft? Yeah. So somewhere 35, 36, I guess, was I think 36 is the Miami pick. So they're good. if a team is going to invest that sort of capital in them, they're not going to invest them to put them in and say, we're going to do 50-50 with, with the guys there. But 
So I like him. I think I would be willing to go. I, I have Harris over Etienne. I both in, in dynasty and in redraft. I still would have them slightly over. I think there's maybe a half round difference between ADP for them in my mind. But uh, I would go Harris as early as the very, very late in the third. I would go ETN early in the fourth. I just got to see where the landing spot is because I still think the ability to walk into – like if ETN lands in Atlanta, that becomes an extremely exciting proposition given the, the dearth of other options, other quality options there. And, yes, I know, I know the other names that are there, but n- nobody there is a starting caliber player. I'm sorry. I, I know there's like this, this – there's a Quandre Allison hive that apparently exists. And uh, he's fine, but he's not, not – if they bring in ETN – they're not, they're, Allison's not taking touches away from ETN. Not when they take him at 16. No. So, I mean, that's really interesting. The Jets are really interesting. I like LaMichael P. Ryan, but I think he's a complimentary piece, especially if they're going to spend, uh, if they go and trade up or they spend 18 or whatever they want to do for to get Najee Harris. Uh, so all of those things become really interesting to me. Same thing with Javante Williams, if he lands in one of those spots. Like right now, he's more in the 60s for me uh, as, in terms of running backs that I would take overall in fantasy drafts. So we're talking very early round six. But if he's that Atlanta guy, if he's that Miami guy, then it be, he moves a little bit closer to those top two guys because situation is going to matter a lot, as it always does, for these guys because I still think the Miami job is going to take away a lot of third-down options. That and was I what I was about to say, Jamie. It's like Miami is the me. one team that maybe drops these guys because Miles yes. Gaston was good. He was really good when he was healthy this year. He's going to be there. They already have trust in him. You got to look at the head coach and where he comes from and how they do things when they trust guys. It's going to take a little while for a rookie, even it looks great, to take more than 60% of snaps away from Miles Gaskin, who was really solid last year. So I think that's also the one where you risk a, a slower start. I mean, is that player, if it's Najee Harris, for example, is he going to be basically a two down player for a while until, you know, they want to fully get him integrated more with that third down role? Like they like Miles Gaskin. He's had some success, he had a lot of success in his, in his brief time there last year. It becomes another question for Aaron Jones if he lands there as well. Is he gonna is is his new Jamal Williams going to be Miles Gaskin? Like, there's all those kind of conversations that we have to have. But to me, the Jets and the Falcons are the best fantasy year one landing spots for these top guys. Let's discuss wide receivers. We will start with uh, Jake's favorite wide receiver from this class. We will start with Jamar Chase, and since we're bringing him up, Jake, I'll let you have the floor first. It's all going to depend on where he goes. If, if he goes to Detroit, I don't like him that much anymore. I keep saying that I think Cincinnati is going to pair him up with Joey B, and that's going to be a freaking dynamic duo for a long time. If that's the case, receivers are tough, man. you got the superstars at the top, the proven superstar guys, and a bunch of those are shuffling. Like Nobody's taking Michael Thomas where you took him last year. Uh, Julio is probably dropping significantly with his injury stuff. But I'd probably throw him – I think Keenan Allen shoots up where we took him from last year. Keenan Allen was a value guy last year. He probably takes that place, right? Where you were taking Devontae Parker, Keenan Allen, T.Y. Hilton last year, sixth, seventh, eighth round kind of thing, if you were lucky enough to get them then. Uh, I'd take a flyer all depending on where he is. If he's partnered with Joey B or in a better situation, the Jets, I, I don't hate that. Uh, I hate Detroit. If he ends up in Detroit, him or Waddle, I think it absolutely destroys their fantasy value. That's my. That's the team that scares me. Uh, I think even Philadelphia a little bit too. I'm not fully yeah. sold on, on yeah. Jalen Hurts as a, no. as a passer yet. I think as a fantasy option, he's going to be a QB one for you because he's going to run around. But as a real life NFL passer, I'm not as confident yet. That's where I have Chase kind of coming off here, very early seventh round. Like that's that's kind of where I have him slotted at this point. He would still be my first one off the board right now. 
but I do have reservations. And it's part of why I've kind of been out there and kept saying, I think there's a really good chance that it's not one of these top three, the Chase Smith Waddle that actually has the best rookie fantasy season. Because you look at some of the really good players that are a little bit further down, the Rashad Bateman, the Terrace Marshalls, them going to Green Bay, them going to a Kansas City, them going to a Baltimore could really open up the opportunity for them to have a lot of success in year one. Uh, even go even going a little bit further, like a Kadarius Tony or Amari Rogers, who, you know, they might not they they can't do all of the things these top receivers can, but they might work their way into a role for a good passing team really quickly, and all of a sudden become flex caliber options for you while the bigger names are trying to find their way through either disadvantageous quarterback situations or teams that aren't going to be very good. So I'm a little concerned at this point because I'm, I know I'm going to dock some of these top guys if they end up going to Detroit or Philadelphia for that matter at, in the top seven, a little bit more Cincinnati. I would like, because I think it's going to be a good passing offense. I just don't know if I'm going to feel the same way about Detroit or, or Philadelphia right now. So no. I still have chase at one, but I think, until we see these landing spots, I can't take any of these rookie receivers before, at the very earliest, the end of round six. I loved your point on Rodgers and Tony, though, Jamie, because that's that slip screen, bubble screen, reverse, motion them back into the backfield. Those guys are so unique. That's LaVishka Chenault last year, but they're both a little bit more explosive than that. But yeah. That same kind of way that he was used in a multiple ways, like your boy in San Francisco, those, those guys get really – really intriguing as taking them higher than some of these studs that end up in really bad situations. Well, and the point is like, even like using the Chenault example, that's not a league winner. Like you're not going to take, like he wasn't a guy that was going to make or break your championship roster, but he was worthy of being on your team for most of the season. And he was a guy with injuries or, or COVID designations was you were able to kind of plug into a flex or a second flex spot and be able to give you at least a high floor level of production like there's no like we're not saying on on any on a football level that any of these guys are more talented than the guys at the top. They're not. But who has a better chance to make a consistent impact in year one? I would still say right now, I would say the number one rookie fantasy wide receiver, if I had to guess, if I was to take Chase Smith Waddle or the field, I still think I would take the field as of today. Ask me yeah. after the draft when we kind of see the landing spots, but I think I take the field right now. Unless Chase ends up in Cincinnati, I think he's a 12 sure. to 13 target a game guy because they're going to suck and they're going to throw the crap out of him. It was a good joke that you snuck in there, Jamie, that Green Bay was going to take a wide receiver in the first round. I like that. <laughs> you tried to try to sneak that in there. Not going nah, to take me. Greg Newsom. Yeah, probably. They won't take a, uh, a wide receiver. Do we want to discuss the other two guys, Waddle and Smith, or does the same principle kind of apply that you just applied to Jamar Chase, that this is really going to depend on where they go, and if they go to one of these spots that we didn't – like, I have tankathon.com open right now, and I'm looking at some of the potential landing spots, and there's a lot of landmines here where in year one, again, we're just looking at a redraft format. I don't know if I feel comfortable taking any of these guys. I, the one note I want to make on Smith, because I was pretty down on him in the Dynasty show, I'm not as down on him in year one. Because my concerns with Smith are not about, like, his football intelligence and his explosiveness is out of this world. It's only the size concern. So I'm going to take that out for year one, just because I feel like that's more of a, going to be a longer-term issue of, like, can he hold up multiple seasons? Does he get figured out? Uh, I, I, to me, I think he would be my... It, it's him and Waddle are right there for me as my, my number two rookie, but I think they're all in this like seventh round kind of conversation. We'll see where he lands because the other thing that's a concern of let's say, and I don't think this is going to happen in this way, but he's been mocked to Miami at three a lot. And if he goes to Miami at three, that means they don't have Deshaun Watson, a quarterback. So now all of a sudden 
how much – I mean, Tua Tungvaloa sapped Look, the fantasy value out of everybody. All of the receivers at Alabama have come out and said they like Mac Jones over Tua, and none of them backed it up by – like, walked off of it. They all said yeah. it emphatically, emphatically, which I said halfway through the season, by the way. They love that. That's scary. I don't like that at all. No. I, think of what happened to Devontae Parker's value, Mike Giusecki's value. I mean, so – You put uh, enough tape, too, by the way, on Tua – in Miami this year, you can't just go RPO slants. You're no. going to have to make him actually play NFL quarterback. Chan Gailey's now gone. What does this thing look like? I hate that if Devontae Smith goes there. That's, That's almost as bad as Detroit to me. There's a, real, there's a real world scenario where these top three receivers that we're talking about go off the board to Miami, to Detroit, and to Philadelphia. And at that point, we're going to have to have some serious conversations about, like, those guys are not going to probably make it on my rosters because the fantasy hype is going to take them well above where I feel comfortable, and I'm going to tr trust these, these second-tier receivers that go into much better situations with an opportunity to make an impact in year one. That's where this is going to get really interesting to me. But I, I did want to note that on Smith because I was a little bit lower on him. Um, are we going to talk about the, the one tight end we're talking about here, Chris? Is Absolutely. He was the next guy up on the list. We're going to talk about Kyle Pitts. I would take him, by the way, I would take him in the seventh round as well. I would take him, but I would, I would go, if I was ranking all these rookies that we're talking about right now, I'd go Harris, Etienne, Williams, Chase, and then Pitts five for redraft. Uh, because I think his, his opportunity to ascend into a significant starting role for you this year is probably higher than any of the non-running backs. Because there are really, there are three stars in the tight end position, four like rock guys. Because I think Mark Andrews still for fantasy purposes at that number four spot is going to be good. But that spot, that number five overall fantasy tight end this year is wide open. And I think it would have been Hawkinson's. There would have been Hunter Henry's to lose. But now with Stafford gone and Hunter Henry, who knows where he lands up, that's a wide open spot for somebody to take. And if he what – if, what if Cincinnati gets crazy and, and he ends up there? You know, what oh. if he ends up in some of these other places where he can have that opportunity to be a, a year one impact player right away? Again, we're going to have these – we can have these more specifically in-depth than we know when they land, but I think Pitts' opportunity to finish in the top five of his position, well, quite frankly, it's higher than anybody else's because of the tight end position, but the ability to make a year one impact for you along the non-elite running backs, it could be Pitts. Man, you love this Kyle Pitts to Cincinnati bandwagon. You are driving the bus on this thing. You bring it up every chance you get. The more he says it, the more I like it too. No, I agree, I know that he, I like, every time we do one of these shows, he brings it up. Because I think – where the, I don't think they could pass on Sewell, but if Sewell comes off the board before they get there, I think it opens up the board for Cincinnati. They probably should trade back, but it opens up the board for them to do to get more creative. I, with these quarterbacks, I think they're going to absolutely end up trading back and still maybe getting him. But that is very, very intriguing. But and if that's the, I agree with you. By the way, I don't. I don't think there's any way he finishes outside the top five with that skill set. It all depends on where he goes, how healthy the quarterback is. What other weapons are there as complementary pieces? But he's basically very different guy. But remember Jimmy Graham was like, I want to be paid like a receiver because I'm not a tight end. This is the exact same situation. He's going to be playing receiver more than he's actually playing tight end, depending on where he ends up. And that's just going to put up insane numbers compared to everybody else that's left at the tight end position. Yeah, and to me, like, if he – uh, we, we can start to, like, fantasy book these, these trades or whatever. But if, let's say, Sewell's gone, they want to trade back – Trade back to eight with Carolina. You could probably still probably get Pitts there at eight. Yeah. Uh, and, and Carolina can move up to get QB4 or QB3, depending on who's still sitting there at that point. But so Cincinnati doesn't trade back. They don't, they don't, they just I like know to that stay they don't, where they're. 
I agree that we have to consider that they that they don't ever do it, but I also don't want to fall in the trap of because they haven't done it before that they they're won't. never in this good a situation. They're always taking some, like a I mean, couple picks ahead of this it, where they can't trade back because they have to take that dude. This is like the first time they've been there in a while where they could go, okay, we could still get a star that we need. They could trade back to twelve or thirteen and still get a tackle. Yeah. There are, there are definitely options for them. I'm just saying, like, it's very rare for them to do this. And sure. that's, I think, but, it's fair to know. But you have to consider where you are, too. Like, you, you don't need a quarterback right now. So, and let's say Sewell's off the board. Or Sewell's not your number one guy. Like, I, there are going to be some that don't have Sewell as their top tackle. Then you have to go, can we trade back to get a Pitts? Can we trade back to get one of these receivers? Can we trade back to get a Slater or Darisaw? Like, I mean, all those things have to be on the table for you. And I know they're not a team that likes to actively do that. But they're also not a team that's done a lot of things well recently. So if you're if your guy you, you're not taking a quarterback there, if your guy is off the board at that point, and maybe the guy's Jamar Chase, and then he won't be off the board at that point. So there's a lot of options there. But to me, I think that Cincinnati pick is way more way more interesting than I think people are giving credit for because I think there are a lot of reasonable options for them, which one of them includes trading back. Any players that we didn't mention that anybody wants to discuss before I wrap us up and get us out of here? Is there a player that I have failed to mention here when doing this? I, I will just today? say that I'm interested in Kenny Gainwell in very specific situations for year one. If he goes to a team that has immediate third down pass catching back need, that they can get him on the field, put him in the slot, Motion him out of the backfield. He could be somebody that has that kind of that sneaky week-to-week low-end RB2 flex type of value when we get to midseason. It's very, it's very team-specific at this point because if, if they're looking to be a back-to-groom, he's probably not going to be somebody that's on your radar except as a handcuff or if there's an injury. But he is somebody that in the right situation can have that opportunity that I think is could be in that fantasy sleeper role, although depending on what team he goes to, everybody's kind of aware that that's what they're looking for. Um, and then Michael Carter was the other one. I just, I think he has a good chance of, of getting a third down roll out of the gate. I don't think he has a good chance of getting a three down roll, but I think he has an opportunity of working himself on the field in that situation. I've got two and they're basically, I think Seattle could get interesting. There's a couple teams I think could get outside the box and go, okay, Chris Carson leaves. We draft a running back. So if it's, it's Javante Williams in one or it's Chuba Hubbard later, both those guys have the potential to be three down guys. And that situation where we're not going to let Russ cook anymore and we're going to go back to what we used to do, those could be really interesting when you've had the draft. Okay, now we're looking at where they're at. Those guys could fly up the boards if they end up in that kind of situation. Or if Atlanta doesn't go ETN one and they go Chuba Hubbard in two. That could be really interesting. He's flying up people's boards. We talked about the other day on the show. People are starting to realize how good he was. It's health-related. But if those are the situations for those guys – now we might be talking about them being the top rookie running back off the board. I think we got to mention them. That is going to do it for us here. Oh, Jamie, you put your finger up. Quick thing, a quick thing of note to kind of just let everybody know what just happened. Uh, the Saints have released Emmanuel Sanders. So uh, something to kind of be aware of if they, they become in the market for one of these rookie receivers. And Maybe not at the million over the cap. Yes. But, yeah, yeah, let me let me just do a quick little check here for you. Here, I'm just go to overthecap.com and see it's what a lot because they franchise Marcus Williams for their salary cap, but it still probably uh, puts them in really, in really bad shape. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, one of the weirdest things to do because that actually puts dead money on their books. It, it's not one of the you cuts. You might as well pile up the dead money they've got collecting at this point. It doesn't really matter. They yes. save $4 million by cutting Emmanuel Sanders. Four. So they had to. $43 million yes. over the cap. Yes. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of cash that's going to be thrown around to, to the top players there. Uh, maybe some other trades to be had. But they, they're another team that's in this conversation now for day one or day two, guys. And all of a sudden, there's room for a wide receiver, too, in New Orleans. Now, it might not matter if Taysom Hill's the starter, but something worth at least keeping an eye on. And something that we will be keeping an eye on next week, and as I mentioned on the Monday show, and I'll mention again here on a Wednesday show, you can expect a lot of free agency-related talk next week on the show. Uh, next Monday when we do the show is when the uh, the moratorium kind of lifts, the legal tampering period opens. The moratorium. Uh, I, I, will, I will let everybody know that show, I'm going to preempti- preemptively tell everybody now, going to come out a little bit later in the day. We're going to wait a little bit to see what some of the, the rumors and stories come out just so we don't put out a show. And then the minute I hit publish, you know, a big story breaks. So we're going to go a little bit later in the day. And then on Wednesday next week, that is when free agency officially opens. So we'll probably have some actual numbers and actual signings to discuss. So that's what you can expect next week on the show. Jamie, tell everybody where they can follow you on social media. You follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter and at Eisner Fantasy on Instagram. So you putting up some Instagram content yesterday. Oh, yeah. Some, some show-related yeah, stuff, yeah, too, that very, we talk about. Very so. good. Very, very good. Like to see you. Jake, your social media accounts. Jake B. Arians on Twitter and Arians NFL on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Shoe Radio, and you can see uh, all the content that Jamie talks about. He wrote his fantasy, uh, his uh, franchise tag winners and losers. That's at thedraftnetwork.com. Everybody, have a great weekend. We will talk to you on Monday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.